Praise the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. There's one having a good morning. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> All right. Praise the Lord. Before I get started, I would like to wish my wife a happy anniversary. 29 years. Wow. That's a, a saint to put up with me for 29 years. And I can honestly say she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So happy anniversary. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. And Orion, I tell you, man, every song just uh, right on track with what we're preaching this morning. I always appreciate when the Holy Spirit does that. I like that song that says, uh, I am His forever, He is mine. Is that how the lyrics go? I never get them right. I don't know one song's lyrics. Uh, I don't. I don't ever remember. I make them up as I go along. And um, going through the fire, you'll see that this scripture is right in line with that. And um, wow, praise the Lord! It's amazing. All right, the title of my message is "Called You by Name." In um, Isaiah forty-three, it says, "But now," which that's very important because that's a transition. Things have been one way uh, for Israel, and now it's going to be different. And so that's a transition, but now, this is what the Lord says. He, and if you're able to follow along in the Bible, if you've got it on your phone or in the Bible, uh, I'll be breaking down verse by verse, so it'll help you in this message to follow along. It's not always the case, but on this particular one, I know it will. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob... He who formed you, Israel. Do you see a uh, contrast there? That's the same person. Jacob and Israel. Jacob became Israel after his encounter with God. And it says, He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And what's that last two words? Your Savior. Who is the Savior? Who is the Redeemer? And so this is a letter from Jesus. I mean, this is a prophetic word directly to his chosen from him. And uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we love you so much. Um, Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would uh, speak, speak to the hearts of every person. And um, I pray that you would hide me and you would speak directly to hearts. Lord, we know how much you love us, and uh, Lord, we know how personal it is. It's not general, Lord, it's personal. And Lord, I pray that that would uh, scream through this message, Lord God, how personal your love is for each person who's called by your name, Lord. And we ask that you bless this word, Lord, and we ask that we would be receivers of it, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Um, this message, um, 
was birthed earlier this week, my uh, my daughter uh, said she was uh, physically sick last night. She physically wanted to throw up last night because I told her that my message was birthed out of her letter that she gave to me. Um, every night before I go to work, my two daughters, it's the highlight of their day, which is amazing to me that they love me that much, but the highlight of their day is before I go work third shift, they will take index cards and they will write scriptures and they will pray all day about what God wants to tell me. And and so they will every night, um, and I will say Elena's just starting in the beginning stages of doing it, and Johanna's done it for many, a uh, couple years, probably two years. And uh, so she really, she she takes an approach to it like I do my messages, you know. Like I won't preach until I've heard from the Lord. She won't write the letter until she's heard from the Lord. And uh, so earlier this week, I had been praying. And I had a decision I was trying to make. And for me, it's some of the hardest decisions because... How many people, you um, maybe you've had times in your life when you've been without, and it's very easy for you just to not take something and give it away. Like it comes really natural, like really natural just to give things away and help people and not, you know, you're kind of move yourself down the list. And, uh, and so that type of personality, you just always want to give everybody everything. And then when it comes to blessing yourself... You have a really hard time. How many are, are like that? And it's like an argument to try to bless yourself sometimes. And uh, I was praying over one of those issues. Uh, I was like, um, what do I do in this situation? And the answer I kept getting was, Chad, I want to bless you. And I kept kind of arguing with God. I was like, no, I don't need it. I don't need that. You know, I don't, I don't, that's not necessary. I don't want to do and the Lord was saying, no, I love you. I love you. It's okay. And I just kept hearing the Lord trying to tell me that he loved me and very, in a very personal way. But, and I was, I was struggling with trying to understand in the clearest words what he was trying to tell me. And so when I got her card, but I knew the Lord was telling me that. You know, and so I got her card, and she puts on here, I have called you by name. You are mine. Isaiah 43, 1. And then she added, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you won't be burned. The flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And then she put, isn't that amazing? No matter how scary each situation is, God can save you. He can really do whatever your heart desires. More than what you want. I hope you know and see how blessed you are. And every little good deed or word you said or done, I hope you see the miracles, blessings, and reasons to keep moving forward and trusting in God. Wow. And when I read it, I knew, number one, that was God. And God spoke to me when I read it, and he said, you know what? He said, I didn't just 
call you to me. I didn't just call you to ministry. He said, I I called you by your name. You know, I personally said, Chad, come on. Let's do this. Let's do this together. And sometimes when you get in the fire, sometimes you get in the water, sometimes you go through these things that are wanting to overwhelm you like a flood, sometimes you forget it's very personal to God. Very, very personal. And and sometimes you don't feel like moving forward. You want to stop and you want to give up. And and he's saying, no, no, don't stop. Keep moving forward. I'm with you. And I called you my name. And Lord wanted me to communicate that today. He wants me to tell you that you are his and he is yours. And he called you personally by your name. And that's what this message is about today. If you get anything, get that first part of it. God is very personal in his call, okay? Let's see. I like this line too. I love you and hope you see the evidence of God in your life spreading to others. You and mom have been good servants to God and friends to all. God sees everything you do. Think about that, church. This isn't just to me. This is her hearing from the Holy Spirit, and this is for us. Um, Boy, what an amazing letter. Like I said, I'm so proud of the fact that she sets herself to hear from the Holy Spirit. So I started um, with that as my what God had put in my heart, and and so I want to break down this particular scripture and uh, just kind of show you what we have here. Now hold on to that first line. Because we'll get to that in a minute. The but now is very important because, like I said, it's a transition. This is Isaiah. So when you think of Isaiah, what you really need to think about is this is a nation that had really turned their back on God. They were once following God. They were once faithful. And they are in a period of time where Isaiah is proclaiming that judgment is coming upon the nation. And they're in the midst of of foreign adversaries coming in and overrunning the nation. And so God goes through a period of time where he's making sure they understand that, hey, you've turned your back on me, you've abandoned me, you're not following me in covenant like you had at one time. And and then he goes through the other parts of the book. Um, When you get past chapter 39, then it starts to be what's called the restoration of, of Israel where he's calling them back and he's saying this is what I will do if you just walk in covenant with me and trust me you know don't turn your back on me anymore and so the but now is you know you have seen what it's like to be without me but now here's what I'm calling you into here's what I here's what my desire is for you and so this is very personal it's not only to Israel but when you see Israel um, that really is um, God's covenant people And so we are that covenant people, as we'll see in a minute as we read through here. And so he contrasts, he said, this is what the Lord says. And he contrasts two lines here that are very interesting that would be easy to miss. You would think they're repetitious, but they're not. It says, he who created you, Jacob, and he who formed you, Israel. Which, like I said, Jacob, um, the person Jacob... That was his name, 
And then how many remember there was a wrestling match uh, that Jacob had with God? In fact, I wrote that scripture down. That's in Genesis um, Genesis 32 and 35, uh, between those chapters, between th- chapter 32, 28, and uh, 35, 10. And you see uh, Jacob ends up uh, having an all-night wrestling match with an angel of God, uh, with God himself, most people think. And uh, at the end of that wrestling match, it says that God um, renamed him Israel. So when you see, um, I created you Jacob, and I formed you Israel, it's quite a contrast. Because when he says, I created you, that word create is bara in the Hebrew, and it means that I selected. And then when you get to the, I formed you, that means that I literally took my hands and I shaped you like a potter would shape what he's trying to create. And so God is making a contrast here. Number one, that he chose Jacob. Like he selected Jacob And uh, Jacob's name at that time uh, basically meant a hill catcher, uh, one who, um, in fact, let me, it means hill catcher and one who undermines people. So Jacob was a deceiver. How many remember this about Jacob? Jacob was very deceptive. He cheated his brother out of an inheritance by manipulation. Um, even at his birth, um, he's called the hill catcher because he grabs his brother's hill. And so you just see a guy that was not very well thought of. You know, he was a very deceptive, very manipulative person. How many know that in life sometimes uh, we can try to get ahead in life just by being deceptive or manipulative or, or trying to always get our way and really odd ways. And so this really defined Jacob as a person. And the Bible says, um, I selected, I handpicked, I created Jacob. And you're saying, well, man, that's, in fact, the, the word actually means to, to go out and select a piece of wood for a certain purpose, to literally go out and make a selection. And uh, Jacob really isn't much to choose from you know you you picked and, and and why I say that is because none of us were really worthy of what God has called us to do and so here he selects Jacob and then he says and I have formed you uh Israel and so here you see this man who's finally given his life to God finally changed and God gives him a new name and that name is prince with God Literally to serve and reign with God. He selected Jacob of all people, the hill catcher, the one who uh, is deceptive, the deceiver, the one who undermines people, the one who wasn't the one that most people probably would have selected. He says, I have selected him and I have created, I begin to form him. In fact, this word form, uh, literally, like I said, is to take your hands and begin to form um, and as you look in Isaiah, he uses it several times. Isaiah 43, 7, he uses the same word. And he says, even everyone that is called by my name. Okay, what name are we called by? His name. He's starting to say what name he calls us by. His name. 
I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So who is this that he's called by his name, who he is forming with his own hands? Everyone that is called by his name. Let me ask you, are you called by his name this morning? Are you called Christian? Are you called by the name of Christ this morning? Hallelujah. Then in Isaiah 43, 21, he uses it again. This people have I formed for myself, that they shall show forth my praise. You notice I use the word formed again. So God is saying that I am forming a group of people that are called by my name. They will bring forth my praise and they were created for my glory. Hallelujah. That's us. Hallelujah. So this form becomes very important. He's showing, he's contrasting the carnal man and the born again man. He's saying that this scripture that says, but now this is what the Lord says. I've created you, Jacob. I've formed you, Israel. So who is the one that should not fear? The next verse is, do not fear because I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. The redeemed person is who he's talking about in Isaiah 43. Whoever this redeemed person is, they have a new name. They have a name that is his name. They are his. I am his and he is mine. And so this is very deep. This becomes really deep. And we've got to say, you know, a lot of people will read the Bible and say, well, man, God knows my name. Well, this promise is specific. This is for the redeemed. This is for those who he is their Lord and Savior. He is mine and I am his. Hallelujah. This is special. This is a special creation is what I put in my notes. This isn't just creation like everybody else. This is a special born again creation that's called by my name. In fact, John 1.12 says, But as many as receive him to them. To who? As many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. So you say, well, isn't everybody children of God? Isn't everybody sons and daughters of God? No, the Bible says, as many as received him, to them was the power given to become the sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. So it's a special group. And so he goes on and he says, to this group of people, Do not fear. Do not fear. And so I started looking this up. What is this fear? Because there is a definition of fear that can mean awe or reverence. Like I'm just reverencing God and the fear of God. And But here's what the uh, um, Old Testament theological word book says. It says... uh, This word may refer to a sense of reverence and awe, especially in the worship of God, but that is not the meaning in this context. The word fear, especially the way that is used in this verse, would indicate an emotional fear or an intellectual anticipation of evil. It suggests an emotional terror or an intellectual dread. In either case... God said it should not be a factor in the hearts or minds. Why? 
because he has redeemed us. So those who have been redeemed by God, meaning the ones that God calls by name, the ones that uh, is called by his name, the ones that have been redeemed by him, they should not even have fear. In fact, they go on to say, listen to this, I really like the way they wrote this. In the Hebrew lexicon it says, the word not, do not fear. The word not in front of fear is called an adverb of negation. It expresses a deprecation or diminishing or prohibition or complete elimination altogether of the following word. So how many know when not is put there, it is a prohibition of fear? Meaning God doesn't want you to have it, period. Like if you're redeemed by me, you're called by my name, you're in my family, you're a part of me, Fear should not even be in your lexicon, right? In fact, it says here, John 14, 1. Here's this adverb of negation again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, believe all, you believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives it, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you see where God actually prohibits us from using that word? It's an adverb of negation, like fear should not even be in our lexicon. (laughs) It's really amazing when you break down the words. God doesn't even want us to have it. It is a negation of the word fear. Do not have this word as long as you're mine. Okay, that is an awesome revelation to me. That's, that's crazy. Do not fear, comma, why? Why should I not fear? For I have redeemed you. In fact, that could very easily say because. Do not fear because I have redeemed you or for I have redeemed you. So what is this redemption? Why is it so powerful that I am not to even have fear? Because uh, in a minute, we're going to discuss what we're going through. We're going through fires. We're going through rivers. We're going through floods. We're going through a lot of really difficult things. But he's saying fear should not be part of your language. Right? Redemption. So here's the reason why. Because he redeemed you. He redeemed Y-O-U. What does that mean? A group of people? A nation? He says, do not fear because I have redeemed you personally. Like whatever this redeeming is, he did it to you personally, not a group. So redemption, what does that mean? It's a root of a word that's got gawal is the word in Hebrew. Literally is a root to redeem according to the oriental law of kinship. That's strange. According to an Eastern Oriental law, that word is derived, and it says to buy back a relative's property or even a widow to avenge for that person, to deliver that person, or to purchase, ransom, or redeem the property or individuals. And so it says here in Kyle and Dalich, the only Example we really see in the Bible very clearly is the book of Ruth. 
How many remember the story of the book of Ruth? In fact, I wrote in my notes here just from everything that I'd read. To be redeemed, a price must be paid. Now, how many know Isaiah 43, we're reading about being redeemed, and it's signed in verse 3 from the Savior. And it says a price has to be paid. So what happened to Ruth? How many know Ruth was a Moabite? She wasn't even from Israel. She was married to a Jewish boy. Her two, the, the other two brothers were also married to uh, foreign girls. How many remember this story? So three brothers, three wives, and then the mother Naomi was Jewish. They move out of Israel into the land of Moab. The whole family moves over there, which is forbidden. You don't go live with the Moabites when you're from Israel. When you're from the tribes of Israel, you don't go next door to Moab and live. But this Jewish family went to live with the Moabites. When they got there, how many know their life was ruined? Their life was just destroyed. They were very sickly boys. They weren't healthy. They weren't spiritually healthy. And how many of you know all three Jewish boys died in the land of Moab and, and the husband of Naomi also died. And Naomi and Ruth and, and this group of people traveled back. In fact, I think it was three. It might have been two. I think in Orpah and Ruth. Wasn't there a third one? I'm trying to remember actually. Might have just been two. But anyway, they come back to Israel, and as they come back to Israel, they're homeless, they're helpless, they have nothing, they're just basically trash in that society. How many know this? And, and basically, they were living by what would be today called the welfare system. They had no other way of eating, but the welfare system in, uh, Egypt, or in Israel was, you leave what's left on the outside of the fields. The gleanings. And so there are certain parts of the field you don't uh, harvest. You leave it for the poor. And so all they had to eat was what, the, what was left on the edges of the fields. And so they're starving. They don't have anything. And Naomi says, you know what? We have relatives there. It's a long shot. But there's this relative named Boaz. And Boaz finds Ruth. And Naomi says, just, you know, you're Moabite, but go and maybe Boaz will help. And so they go into a court of law and the kinsman redeemer is the nearest kin. Okay, Boaz wasn't the nearest relative. There was another relative that could have helped her. But how many know that the price that you pay to redeem somebody is excessive? It's almost like our modern day adoption. You adopt somebody and the price is exorbitant. In the case of the Old Testament, that it was exorbitant to buy, to redeem somebody back into your family. And so nobody was willing to pay the price. The near, near, uh, relative was not willing to do it for Ruth. She was trashed to that society. Nobody wanted her. Nobody wanted to help her. She was impoverished. And how many know that, uh, uh, Boaz had to go to court and the other relatives had to give up the rights to purchase the property and the person. And Boaz paid an exorbitant fee and said, I, I want her. I want to redeem her. And how many of you know that ends up being David's like great-grandmother, King David? 
And so David, when you see David is able to go in Moabite territory, it's because he had a lot of relatives over there, (laughs) you know, because they came from that area. And so what the Bible is saying here is, that is the best example. In fact, I put here, why do I not fear because I have redeemed you? Number one, this is a redemptive claim from Jesus for your life. That means that we're like Ruth. We've been trashed by the world. You know, we had no hope. We had no future. We had no, nothing going for us. And Jesus said to you, why owe you? Not a group of people. He said, I want them. And he was willing to pay the price. The price was exorbitant. And so what does this mean? What, what does this mean? It means you are my family. You're my family. So whenever he redeems you, God, the Father, becomes our Father. Jesus purchased us with a price, right? And so because I am his and he is mine, we're family. And so he's saying, why should you fear? You're my family. Why should you fear your mind? And so this claim becomes very powerful because it's a redemptive claim and makes you part of his family. And you say, well, isn't everybody part of his family? No, only those that receive him are part of his family. Hallelujah. This is a redemptive claim. The second thing, what is in a name? What is in a name? Because the very next verse in 43.1, the third part of it, I have summoned you by name. You're mine. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. And I think this is the thing I couldn't put into words that my daughter had to help me. It's like I'm calling you by your name. You ever, you ever been around somebody famous or somebody that, like, people would be sure you didn't know? You don't know that person. Then they walk by and they say, hey, Chad, you understand what it means to be called by your name? I mean, there's a lot of implications here in summoning you by name and calling you by name. And that's what I couldn't quite put into words until my daughter gave me that scripture was, Chad, you're my son, and I'm calling you by name. And that's what God's telling you today. You're his son, you're his daughter, he's calling you by name. I'm summoning you by name. That means come here, whatever your name is, insert it there. He's calling you. That's how intimate your prayer life should be, that he's calling you by name. So what does a name mean? Well, number one, it means intimacy. It means that there is some personal, I know you, right? Now get this. This, is, this will shock some of you. It won't shock a few of you. People that name their cars, research has shown they take better care of them. Now, some of you know that my truck's name is Angela. I couldn't think of anything that I love more than my wife. So sometimes I'll be talking about how great Angela is. 
And they'll ask me, am I talking about my truck or my wife? And it's just kind of a running joke. But how many know, how many believe that? People that name their trucks or cars take better care of them. That's a proven fact. Why? If you have a puppy that comes through the neighborhood, are you going to take better care of that puppy if you name it or if you don't? If you have chickens, which my daughters have names for every one of them, will you take better care of those chickens if they have a name? Let me ask you this. When you adopt a child, when you name your child, when you have a child of your own and you name it, what happens at that moment when you adopt that child and you redeem that child or you've birthed that child and carried that child and you give it a name? Does it have the same love that you have for some stranger's kid? Oh, you've messed with some of these moms and you'll find out real quick. How many of you know that when you name something? And so here was Jacob, and God looked at him and said, your name's Israel. You're my chosen. You're mine. And how many know that he, this naming, summing you by name, that's what it means. It's intimacy. It's, it's like he's mine. She is mine. That's my daughter. That's my son. God takes this very, very personally. And that's going to be very important. Hold on to that. Because when we get through the water and the fire and all that, you're going to wonder if he loves you. You're going to say, does he even love me? And he's saying, no, I called you by, by your name. I love you. Name. What's in a name? Number two. Close friendship or relationship. Now, why would God say to Moses, I know you by name. I have, you have found grace in my sight. What he was saying was, Moses is my very close friend. Wow. <laughs> How many would like God to say that about us? How many would like to spend so much time with God and so much intimacy and prayer that God says, yeah, I know him. <laughs> We spent a lot of time together. He's found grace in my sight. He's my friend. You know that God said that about several people in the Bible, that they were his friend? A few people in the Bible, that they were his friend? How I many you know when God says to Moses, I know you by name, that was an extreme term of friendship with Moses. That God can be your friend. What an amazing concept. Hallelujah. How about separated for purpose? few times he names people in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 31, he's finding these craftsmen that can help build the, the tabernacle. Remember that? And he's looking for people that have the ability to do it. Listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, I have called by name Bazalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, knowledge, and all kinds of craftsmanship. I mean, know that we have been, did you remember the scripture I read in Isaiah 43? It said that uh, he's called us for a purpose. Wow, put your name in there personally. I have called your name and I have filled them with the spirit of God with skill, ability, knowledge, and all kinds of craftsmanship.
I mean, no, calling by name is, hey, I've got the perfect job and I've got the perfect person to do it. I mean, no, we all have jobs that God has called us to do in this world and he's filled us with the Spirit of God and called us by name. You're not just doing work randomly. He's called you by name to do it. Here's uh, Cyrus. How many remember Cyrus? Wasn't even, a, wasn't even a believer, I don't believe. But God called him for a special purpose. He said, hey, I will give you the hidden treasures. This is Isaiah 45, a few chapters later. Riches stored in secret places, so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. I mean, no, he wasn't even a believer. God wanted to show him he was Lord. And he says, I'm calling you out by name. Why? Because he had a purpose. I mean, no, God calls us by name because he has the right person for the right job. And that's us. You say, well, man, God could send a lot more qualified people to reach my family. Come on. Or God, please send somebody else to reach those who are in my world. And God says, no, I've, I've called you by name. I've called you by name. Isaiah 49, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He's spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow, concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you're my servant, Israel, in whom I display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. Do you hear this person? God called this person with a special purpose. And what did the person say? I've labored in vain. How many of us say that? I want to give up. Remember my letter that she wrote me and said, keep moving forward? This person, God did all this to call them by name, polish them up, sword in his hand to show his splendor. And the person said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. Then it goes down to verse 14. It says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Anybody ever said that? I walked in vain. I'm not doing what God's called me to do. I've used my strength for nothing. God has forgotten me. This is what this servant that God called from birth from the womb is saying. And God gives the answer. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion for the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Wow. (laughs) Ever felt forgotten? Isn't that amazing promise? Lord, we failed. Lord, we went away from you. Lord, we haven't done it. We've wasted our strength. We haven't done what you called. Lord says, but I've called you from birth. I called you by name. I shined you up. You're the splendor in my hand. But Lord, I failed. I didn't do it. I haven't done it. I can't do it. God says, some moms might forget about their babies. It's rare, but I will never forget. Your name is engraved on my hand. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? That's Isaiah 49. So number four, what's in a name? God's possession. How many know a kinsman redeemer buys back? How many know that farms go have to be bought back when somebody dies? You have to pay taxes. You have to pay all these fees to get a farm back. You can redeem a farm. 
You can redeem a possession. You can redeem all kinds of things under this redeemer clause in the ancient law. And God says, you are his possession. None will pluck you out of my father's hand. So why should we not fear? Because you have been redeemed. There's no enemy in hell that can pluck you out of the Father's hand. The Father protects what is His. You say, but man, it sure seems like I'm being attacked. It sure seems like the enemy's winning. It sure seems like the enemy's this or that. And church, can I tell you, you've been redeemed. You say, well, the enemy is going to succeed with the weapons. The Bible says there's no weapon formed against us that will prosper because we have been redeemed. Hallelujah. How about likeness? What's in a name? Likeness. When you're a child of the king, I mean, no, Israel means prince of God. We are royalty. Hallelujah. Now, let me go through the next section here. These are some simple sections. This is where you need to really look. Verse 2, I'm going to point out a few phrases here that you need to see. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you, will not set you ablaze. First thing I want you to notice, when you, when you, when you, and when you, three times. What does when you mean? When you walk out of the sanctuary and you see the front doors, open it and you can leave. That means it's inevitable you're going to walk out the doors and you're going to see the entrance and you're going to be able to leave. It's inevitable. So when he says when you, when you, when you, after he says you're my child and fear should not be in your language and you've been redeemed in your mind, my name is yours, your name is mine, I am yours, you are mine. He says all that stuff And then he says, when you, when you, and when you. So that means you will pass through the waters. So what is in front of me? There's no doubt about it. I will pass through waters that I feel like are going to overwhelm me. How many have ever seen a child go through one of those car washes with millions of gallons of water all around them? And they have no idea what's going on. And they have this look on their face like we do when life overwhelms us. We think we're going to be overwhelmed by the water that's all around. Right? And so here we go through life and the waters are ready to overwhelm us. And trust me, I understand this. I can't swim. Okay? (laughs) So when you go through the waters that are going to look like they're going to overwhelm you, you will. How many have ever been there? Man, I feel overwhelmed. I don't think I can make it through this. He says, when you, when you pass through the rivers, they're not going to sweep over you. When you go through the fire, how many have ever been through the fire that looked like it was going to consume everything that you've ever worked for, ever lived for? This is money. This is reputation. This is jobs. This is everything that you ever worked for. When you, you will. Aren't you glad the Bible tells us the truth? You're going to go through it. 
Second thing I want you to notice, the words that come after the when you. Pass through, pass through, and walk through. Do you know what it means to go through? It didn't say walk in, go in, step in. It says through. When you go through. When you go through, when you go through. What does that insinuate? I'll come out the other side. You say, well, I might die. Church, if I die, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. I won already. So it's either going to kill me and I'm going to be better off in the presence of God as his redeemed, or I'm going to come through it and it's not going to harm me. So God says, when you, and then it's you will, (laughs) okay, you'll pass through. And the last thing I want you to see is the following statement. First it says, I will be with you. And then will not, will not, will not. See that? When you pass through waters, I will be with you. Pass through the rivers, they will not. Walk through the fire, they will not burn you. The flames will not set you ablaze. So remember that. I will be with you, will not, will not, will not. All right, you're going through the fire. looks like you're going to set you on fire. Just say, just quote the scripture, will not. Will not set me on fire. Will not set me ablaze. I will not be burned. It will not sweep over me and overwhelm me. How many know the enemy is saying the opposite? The enemy is saying, be afraid, fear. Let fear be in your lexicon. It's going to overwhelm you. It's going to burn you. It's going to consume everything you work for. Give up, stop, quit. And God's saying, no. Just like my daughter, you know, had to tell me. Continue on. You know, keep going forward. That's what God's telling you today. You're in the middle of it. Just remember, I didn't just call you. I called you by name. You're my son. You're my daughter. I called you by name. And then he finishes off with, which I love, For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. How many would like to have a letter signed like that? From the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Close the letter up and I think I feel pretty good about what I'm going through. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Praise you, Lord. I was listening to a minister this week. And uh, he'd been raised in England, and he, um, he raised sheep. And uh, he had a bunch of sheep, and his neighbor had a bunch of sheep. And all the sheep mixed in together. And they were like, oh boy, and somebody was there who wasn't experienced with sheep. And he said, what are we going to do? How are we going to know yours and theirs? And he goes, it's not that hard. And so he called them. And all of his sheep came out from among them and came to the shepherd. And church, can I tell you, that is the example that this message is trying to preach. Is this last days that we're in? 
If he's not yours and if I'm not his and he's not mine, if it's not personal, if he doesn't call you by your name, I'm almost ashamed God had to say, I didn't call you to the ministry. I called you by your name to the ministry. Chad, do this for me. Chad, do that for me. And church, if we're going to survive in these last days, please hear me. That's going to have to be the way you converse with your Lord. You're going to have to know Him personally. You're going to have to obey Him personally. You're going to have to hear from Him personally. One thing that's interesting with that uh, redemption is uh, He can redeem me. You say, well, good, He's redeemed Chad. So I'll be a first cousin in the family of God. I mean, no, there aren't people that are going to be related to God as sons and daughters because they know somebody who knows God. There are no first cousins. There's no aunties and uncles, right? There's no grandma and grandpas. It's just, he is mine and I am his. It's very personal, church. Not, well, they're of the flock of Wellspring. No, it's personal, which is good and it's bad in a way. It's good because he knows my name, but it's bad because we can't sneak in with the flock. We have to know his voice. We have to hear his voice. And so church, I would just encourage you as we go to the Lord in prayer, if you don't know the Lord, he's not your savior, you say, well, man, I want him to be my savior. He wants to be your Lord and savior. What's Lord mean? That just means that I listen to his voice and I'm obedient. Savior means that because I'm obedient and I know him, he's redeemed me. I have nothing to fear in this life. Hallelujah. So get yourself right with the Lord this morning. If you need prayer, that's why I'm here. You need prayer after church. You need prayer on another day when people aren't around. I'm always available to make sure you're in right relationship with the Lord. And that relationship should be growing, right? should be growing closer and closer. He should be able to speak, hey, you're my child. I want to bless you. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's how he wants to talk to you in prayer. Like we always say, it's one thing to tell the Lord you love him in prayer. It's a whole different thing when God tells you he loves you. And what we want is God to tell you he loves you. Son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. You're my child. I call you by name. Hallelujah. And you say, well, I'm not good enough. It's not based on how good you are. He makes this invitation to Israel. And trust me, trust me, that but now that's in there, this is how it's been, but now, that's a big one. Because he's forgiving them of all this terrible stuff they did. And he's saying, now just come to me. Let's reason. Will your sins be as scarlet. Let's make them white as snow. You don't have to be good enough. You just have to come as you are. And the Lord will pull you into Himself. He'll draw you into Himself. He loves you with everlasting love. Uh, He's just waiting for you to respond. Hallelujah. So if you need prayer, come on up to the altar here. Otherwise, just spend some time with the Lord and hear His voice. Hear Him say, I love you. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. As we close in prayer, um, you know, sometimes in life, we have like we have today. The sun's shining. It's beautiful outside. Spring's right around the corner. And how many know, for some reason, the weather brings optimism. You know, people are like, there's optimism. And in life, there are days that are like that. There's optimism. But what's really hard is, how many have ever went through the flood? How many had those days where it's just pouring so heavy? Water's coming in everywhere. And spiritually, you're walking through it. Everything is soaked. Everything is ruined. Everything is leaking. Everything is broken. Everything is bad. Everything is gloomy. Everything is dark. Or you go through the fire and everything's destroyed. Everything is ashes. Everything is burned. Everything that I ever worked for is gone. And that's when it's hard to understand that He knows my name. I've been redeemed. I mean, you know, God put that all together in three verses. And you say, well, man, did the people in the Bible go through this stuff? If the Bible is anything, it's an honest book about the lives of the people that had faith. And guess what? They literally went through the fires. They literally went through the flame. <laughs> they literally went through the hardest and most difficult things in life. I mean, look at Job. He lost his entire family. And many of them spent years in prison. All of the disciples, almost all of them were martyred. And so if the Bible is anything, it's a book that shows you that they went through those days where everything looks like it's lost and they still understood, I will not be afraid. I will not fear. I will go through. And it will not burn me. It will not overwhelm me. I'm going to make it through. And that's where our faith has to rise up.